We are here with uh, episode number 20, 28. 28 of the Auto Week podcast. I'm Auto Week publisher Rory Carroll. Uh, to my left, we have Wesley Wren. And across from him, we have Motorsports Editor Mike Pryson. Uh, and joining us by phone, since we're going to kick off this episode as we kick off every episode of the Auto Week podcast with our motorsports discussion, we have Jimmy Pelizzari who is in Chilla, Chica, Chillicothe, Ohio, for some reason. Jimmy, why are you in Ohio? Uh, I'm in Ohio because I'm doing a rally this weekend. What, what kind of rally? You're going to rallies? A stage rally, like a stage car rally, mm. where you, you, know, you drive down roads and you go as fast as you can. Is this like a play? No, so when I... Uh, when I approved your time off, I thought you were doing uh, like a political rally. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't do that. I just kind of, I, I just go drive around. So you're driving your Subaru down there in Ohio. Yeah, so, so I'm driving a 2000 Subaru Impreza 2.5 RS, uh-huh. um, mostly stock engine. Uh, it does have rally suspension and some upgraded front brakes. Um, but other than that, and proper safety gear and stuff like that, you know, it's pretty stock Subaru. Uh-huh. You know, stock transmission, uh, stock engine internal, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. And then co-driving is my girlfriend, Kate. And um, we just got done doing the reconnaissance for the day. So, so that means that so, we go ahead. we're given notes, we're given stage notes. You know, so they tell us what's coming up on the roads that I can then drive accordingly. And then we drive all the roads and check the notes and make any kinds of alterations if need be. So, so yeah, it's been good. And the, the roads are looking super cool, really very, very, I guess a lot of people would call them technical, uh, but that means very twisty. Uh, so lots of ups and downs. Lots of decreasing radius or opening turns or um, all sorts of different cambers. And then there's also kind of a thing that's more unique to uh, Ohio than some rallies is uh, exposure. So that's um, been a lot of fun peeking over the side of uh, the road and into some. What does that mean? What does that mean, exposure? Valley. When you say exposure, do you mean (laughs) the opportunity to roll down a hill or death by cold? Uh, it gives us great opportunity to uh, roll down a hill. Mm. Nice. That's good. Hey, so yeah. so this is an ARA event, correct? This is actually a Rally America event. Ooh. So That's we have two competing sanctioning bodies. You run in both, right? Um, yeah. So right now we have American Rally Association, and then we have Rally America. I, I actually mostly run in the regional events in Rally America, which are in the Midwest, and then ARA, American Rally Association, which has kind of been picking up events here and there. They're newer. They're only a couple years old. Um, Actually, this is their second year. They are mostly on the coasts, so east and west, but I think that they have their eyes on the Midwest. And Jimmy, uh, excuse me, uh, Jimmy, at these events, how many cars? I mean, what what kind of field are you looking at, and and how diverse is the field as far as, like, you know, uh, abilities of these drivers? Yeah, so... There's actually this is a, this is a big rally. We've got almost 70 cars, um, and that's ranging from. I was just looking at a completely custom Mitsubishi Evo with insane. I mean, it's 
it's pretty wild to look at. I mean, the degree that the suspension's coming out, uh, going forward on the car and the wheels and knuckles are custom. Everything is completely custom. You know, it's a very, very fast car, very thoroughly prepared professional car. So you've got a few cars like that at the pointy end. And then um, as you go through the field, you know, you get a lot of Subarus because, you know, they're, uh, they're an easy to access platform like mine. You know, you can get a mostly stock car, put in the safety equipment and go have a lot of fun on stage. So there are lots of those and those kind of make up some of the faster cars and then all the way through the field. And then you've got a, a large group of um, two-wheel drive cars, which is everything from brand new Fiestas to uh, there are a couple old Volkswagens, which are great. And there's even a guy out here with a with a Lexus um, IS 400, 300. Probably IS 300. Out 300. Of yeah, it's like a little three series. Uh, which is just super badass, and uh, you know, rear-wheel drive. And he's going to have one heck of a time tomorrow because it's looking like. There's going to be a lot of rain, um, maybe, but um, that'll definitely spice things up, especially for those two-wheel drive guys. So take us through your weekend it, briefly. I mean, so you arrived there uh, today, is that right? Uh, last night. So so actually, yeah, I mean, a rally is a huge thing. I mean, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We arrived last night about 10, 30, 11, and then we woke up at 5.30, to go um, register for reconnaissance. And then we spent all day doing reconnaissance. Um, so we started at seven, well, really more like 6.30 or so to get there. And then we ended about three o'clock. So that's just driving every single stage. Now, wouldn't it be making sure? Wouldn't it be more fun if it was a surprise and you didn't do any re- reconnaissance and you just kind of went out there and winged it and saw what the... <laughs> Uh, it, it would be fun until you realize that you aren't going as fast as you would be going. Uh-huh. One of the really like rewarding things about doing stage rally is that when you get the notes right and you fully trust that you can keep it flat over a, you know, a single lane, single car width, uh, fast left-hander over a uh, dip or over, let's say, a jump, and then that goes into a downhill into a, a fast right-hander. And you can't see any of it. All you can see is a crest. But you keep your foot in it because you trust the notes. And when you actually start doing that, it's a whole other level of a brush. There's nothing really like it. So. Now, Jimmy, you said your girlfriend is your uh, co-pilot? That's right. You talk about the trust level and all that. I mean, this, is, this could strain a relationship, couldn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it can be it can be hard, you know. But uh, you know, we we work through it. You know, I mean, we we've, we've done pretty well. And um, you know, at Snowdrift this year, the first rally of the year, you know, we were it was a really difficult, really difficult rally with terrible conditions, probably some of the worst. Um, you know, really anyone that's run the rally have seen all ice, and we made it all through the rally. And then on the last stage, the last turn of the last stage, I just I. You know, I totally biffed it and sent the car into a snowbank, almost uh, sent it straight into a tree um, in sight of the finish line. And so, yeah, I mean, she was not uh, not too pleased. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you could you could say that the worst thing about having Kate, from my perspective, uh, as the co-driver is that when you screw up, she tells everybody about it. She makes fun of you and she'll like tell 
you know, we'll be in a, a social situation, and she'll be like, "Yeah, Jimmy crashed the car, and he was a big baby about it." And then he'll she'll just right. rip you yeah. publicly. I mean, that's got to be tough. It's very funny. Yeah, yeah. it's it can be hard, but you know, you just gotta pull through, and you know, you just kind of take a deep breath and get back in the car. That's that's some of the hardest part. So you're you're yeah. doing recce today. Uh, yeah, so we did recce today. It went really well. Um, there's a lot of mixed mixed conditions. Just in terms, it's been kind of on and off raining here. So you've got different surfaces, right? So you've got the dirt, you've got hard pack, you've got um, gravel, loose gravel on top. So you've got all sorts of stuff. And, and when you're up in these kind of low laying, I guess they're kind of part of the Appalachians a little bit. I don't know. Big hills, small foothills. And when you get that, you get a lot of different light covers. So parts dry out, parts stay wet. So there's just a lot to keep an eye on, you know, like one, one breaking zone into one turn could be super slick and then entry in uh, mid part of the turn will be kind of grippy and then the exit could be slick again, you know, so it's just keeping an eye on all those things and making sure the notes are right. But now we are about to tech the car, which means we take the car through and it gets scrutineered and they make sure all the safety stuff is there and we aren't doing anything dumb. And, um, and then we just, we're just going to go back and grill and, uh, you know, probably watch TV or something and review our notes and make sure they're all correct. And then tomorrow we start around like one o'clock, two o'clock, and then we drive all the way until probably nine or 10 o'clock at night, oh. maybe 11, 12. I'm getting 11, 12 from the co-driver. And then we wake up early the next morning and do the same thing. So we run another set of stages on Saturday. So when so, you... When you get tacked, do they ever say, like, wow, who glued this roof on? They did a really good job. Um, they've never said that to me. Okay. Well, you should point <laughs> but, it out because um, that's the only yeah. part that I helped with. I literally put maybe 15 minutes into helping with this car, and that was uh, me and Wesley's contribution. And Boss, you did a fantastic job, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Let me, let me say, Boss just, did a great job. I just want to make sure we're getting the recognition we deserve. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a big help. You know, I couldn't have done as... <laughs> It would have been an even shittier job yeah. sticking the roof on the car. Yeah, I feel you not been there. Jimmy was like uh, working on this car within, well, literally across the street from Wes's apartment and like uh, two blocks from where I live and did not receive probably as much help as he should have from us. We're, we're very... I, you know, I think I was in there. Uh, it, w- it was like warm. Every night for like two months. It was hot. like 90, 100 degrees or something. Yeah. And I was in there banging away and stripping it out. Yeah, I mean, you guys offered a lot of moral support. True. That's true. <laughs> and that's what matters. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't feel that bad in the end. Yeah. We, we did our end. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Jimmy, these these rallies, though, when you're out there, uh, do the fans line the track like they do on the WEWC? WRC. Or WRC, WRC, where, you know, these guys are, you know, hugging the corners, just, uh, you know, tempting fate? Uh, nothing nothing like that. They're a little stricter uh, here. You know, they, if spectators um, do anything too crazy, they will get, um, you know, they'll shut down the stage or hold the stage until they get out of the way. Um, but there are a good amount of spectators along the stages when you're driving, and it's awesome. You know, it, you know when you come through a spectator area and you put the car sideways and you can hear everyone yelling and stuff and cowbells and stuff like that. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a it's a rush. And do they come flying? Um, out, do they all come flying out of the woods to help you turn your car right and all that kind of stuff? Uh, it, it depends on how far away from um, Civil organizers you yeah. are. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy, are you one of the folks that will uh, the beep your horn when you're in a heavily spectated area? 
I have had the horn taken away from me um, because I had a habit of spending more time looking at the horn button than mm-hmm. the road. So it's now out of my reach, uh, unfortunately. So Kate, but if you're smart, you just put it on a foot pedal and then the co-driver does it. Ah, that's cool. Um, yeah. so, so you're racing all weekend or rallying all weekend, I guess it's not uh technically is racing against the clock yeah where do you where do you expect to finish i think i mean obviously we're expecting first we've discussed yeah i mean if you're not on the podium it'd be very hard for us to keep you on staff here uh <laughs> you do have the auto week stickers on the car that you bought with well, your I money think, i think i said last time if i podiumed i'd be on the cover and i podiumed oh yeah uh you didn't specify the cover of what right or thing. or what <laughs> But we're, so we're we're starting we're starting twenty fifth. Uh-huh. Um, is that good? Out of seventy, which is pretty good. That's not yeah, bad. And um, you know, this is a really really exciting rally for a lot of drivers. So we get a lot of people coming here, and I, I run in the open light class. So that means that it's all wheel drive and no turbo, which is about as close to a spec class as uh, it gets. And they're all you know Subarus generally older Subarus, all-wheel drive, no turbos. And so it's really competitive. And there's some really great drivers, really great teams out there, and really great cars. So I, I don't know. I mean, it would be really cool to podium, but, um, you know, there's some really fast drivers out there. So we'll see what uh, what happens. How many, how many in your class, Jimmy? About. Oh, I want to say 15 to 20. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so I think we're starting, I want to say, sixth or seventh in class. Cool. Nice. So... Yeah, all, so all of this it, sounds it'll like an be excuse. Good. It'll be really exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I guess in closing, because uh, we've got some other stuff to cover uh, motorsports-wise, if you don't uh, end up on the podium, obviously no problem. Just uh, don't worry about getting to work on Monday. Um, we'll have your <laughs> stuff packed up for you. and I'll bring it to you. Yeah, we'll get it out to the house. Oh, that's, that's, that's great to know. That's a big relief. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Uh, so now you it can. Makes, I mean, it makes it makes it a lot easier now. No pressure, know? right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about just relaxing, you know, kind of like closing your eyes a little, getting a little zen out, not worrying about your job on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. As long as you podium. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. Um, thanks, Jimmy. Good luck. Have fun. Thanks, guys. Give our yeah. best to well, Kate. We'll We'll see how it goes. It'll, from, be a lot of, it'll be a lot of fun. From the Auto Week uh, podcast studio and the thousands, hundreds of thousands listening at home, say hi to Kate for us and have fun, be safe, um, and uh, kick some ass for uh, Auto Week. Will do. All right. See you later. See ya. Woo! Rally racing. Oh, boy. That is a thing. What else happened in motorsport this past uh, two weeks? Yeah, it's been quite a while, man. Um I don't know. I so last weekend I had kind of a busier than normal weekend, or at least had had less time to watch racing than I normally do. But I did manage to catch a rebroadcast of the Spanish GP, or wow. Spanish as one of the Span- uh, one of the pre painted names said. Uh, pre painted uh what do you banners. mean pre painted ba- uh, like on the on the track they had Spanish. Oh yeah, it wasn't. It was close. It's not Spain. It's Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
It was a classic uh, <laughs> modern era F1 well, race. It, it, had, it had everything. It had uh, Lewis Hamilton winning by almost a month. Yeah. Uh, Max Verstappen hit, hit somebody. Yep. And a lot of people didn't finish. Yep. Uh, we had, what, five? Five finished on the lead lap. Yep. Uh, it was a stinker. Um, I, I'm beginning to think that... That first lap was pretty good, though, when, well, that Haas, when the Haas <laughs> car took out well, half no. the field. <laughs> yeah, the, the, when uh, Romain Grosjean uh, decided to whip a shitty in, <laughs> in a Dirt. Race. Yeah, uh, in traffic and literally, uh, he just didn't. Lift. I don't you know, understand. He, he didn't. He got loose and and slammed on the accelerator. Which uh, you know, if you're if you're going into a wall, sometimes that'll keep you out of the wall. But um, he was going into a sand pit, if I'm not mistaken, or like a well, gravel pit. He, he literally, like I said, mid turn decided to do a donut. <laughs> And ultimately, he was going the wrong way on the track, which doesn't really end well. Hit a bunch of guys. Uh, pretty much the only event that happened in that race. Yeah, I so think. yeah, it was a great first lap, and then, then, and then it just kind of fanned out real quick. And, and, Did, and the thing was, that was on the heels of maybe their best race in a long time mm-hmm. in Baku, where... You know, we had changes of lead there in the, the last Star couple Wars laps. Universe. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty exciting. But. Uh, did... did um, did uh, Grosjean explain what, what his... I didn't see. Uh, um, I I think uh, listening to him today, I think he just said the car got loose. I think he just apologized. But he, but was, he got he, loose last week in front and back of the safety car. He's having trouble right now keeping this thing straight. So, yeah, uh, he's the only. He's, there's only two drivers that haven't pointed this year, and he's one of them. And he's supposed to be leading this Haas charge. So and he took out a promising looking Nico Hulkenberg. Yep, which made me mad. Personally. Well, Hulkenberg was pretty mad too. I mean, he, yeah, he, was, he, was, he, he comes on his state, you know, after the race, he yeah. says, uh, you know, I think Romain Grosjean needs to find a new sport. I mean, it was as simple as that. He's uh, getting tired of seeing Ooh, this guy. Uh, what sport board. would he be good at? Yeah, Ooh. Uh, uh, jockey. No, I don't know. He's not a small guy. No, he's, he's one of actually pretty of taller guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, you watch the Kentucky Derby, those guys are really small. What do they do in. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, they're they're not big. Um, they're not well, big. he would be, he would be just as successful as a jockey as he is an F one driver. Ooh. Hey. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, it was. I mean, there's not much to talk about. I I am beginning to think that you know, obviously, everybody knows that Formula One organizers and um, all the drivers, all the team personnel, are pretty religious listeners to the podcast, and I think the. Lewis Hamilton told me it's his favorite podcast. Yeah, I think our praise for F1 over the last two races may have gone to their heads a little bit, yeah. um, kind of lost focus, started kind of uh, reading their own press, as it were. And Riding on the coattails of well, two we'll, good we'll races. We'll take the heat for this one, then. Yeah. So, it, yeah, this one is our fault. The it's next on one, uh, if it sucks, again. That's not on us. That's not on us. Well, the next one's Monaco. So, Should be pretty, I mean, so no one will watch it. <laughs> yeah, they'll all be out on their yachts anyway. They yeah. won't know what happened. But uh, Or they'll be in, uh, what's that one city in Indiana? Uh, Indianapolis. Kokomo? That's Kokomo. I'll be. I'll be uh, in Kokomo. Yeah, but the... Uh, watching it live. Anyway, so uh, that was Formula One. Uh, a real stinker, a bummer of a race. I did catch probably more of the uh, 24 Hours of Nürburgring than I would care to admit. I watched a hell of a lot. Of, I mean, I probably watched eight-ish hours of that wow. race. So I didn't watch any of it. I watched some highlights, and just looking at the highlights, it looked awesome, like an impossible to cut. Like it looks so like so much fun. It's a morning commute. Yeah, I mean, that's what that race. is. Yeah, I I, mean, I I actually may have watched more of it than that, but I, I, you know, if you're not familiar with that one, it, actually, it was broadcast uh, all 24 hours on YouTube, which 
um, more races should be. More, yeah, obviously more races, especially people don't have TV deals in the U.S. Like Le Mans is, might run into a situation this year. With it being on velocity, they might not run all 24 hours. That would be a... Well, you can watch it on t- on the internet, right? The, that's well, it, no, Fox is no longer associated with Le Mans, and, we all, and Fox is the one that had it the last Jesus. couple of years. So we're trying to find out right now from Velocity what their what their plans are. I've heard they're planning on doing the 24, but they have not committed to it and as of now. Well, yeah, uh, they've, they, got, they've got a lot of time, though. Oh, yeah, they got a couple weeks <laughs> yeah. to figure this <laughs> no, out. They got, uh, yeah. No, I mean, Velocity, how, how could you show all 24 hours of Le Mans when you have such programs on Velocity as... Easy, easy. Uh, <laughs> bitchin' uh, the Hawaiian shirt uh, old a- guy. American Hot Rods. Yeah. Reruns of a 2008 series. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Fast and Loud. What's the one? With Auto Week TV. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Auto Week, yep. That yep. was... Uh... And all the... I think <laughs> they're putting... I don't have Velocity, nor would I watch it in the first place, but I think they're putting all the Motor Trend On Demand shows. Oh, those on. are... Actually, there's some, those good, are, some good shows. I mean, I love yeah. Roadkill, but I mean, I think they're putting them in syndicate or in this on the show on the oh, yeah. TV channel. But they could push them aside for yeah, 24 I mean, we hours. Should, I mean, yeah, we just... should probably show the whole race. Um, I hope they do. But I, well, I, I did like... The... They're, on, they're on Le Mans four or five times a year, right? It's not yeah, a special... So you don't have to do this one. Um, <laughs> but the, the Nürburgring 24 was incredible to watch. Tons of rain, tons of traffic. I think, you know, if you don't watch, if you haven't seen that race before, you know, Mike was saying uh, Stephen Cole Smith was there. And he was like, anybody who has a cage in their car can run. But... That's kind of, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. But there were over there were over 150 cars in this yeah. field, I mean, close to 200 cars. 110 of them, I think, finished. Yeah, I mean, this is it was awesome. It's insane. I don't care how big the track is. Yeah, it, it was. But there were you know the AMG uh, GTs, the the Porsche 911s. I think Porsche one AMG uh, GTs were two and three. But like you're watching this race, and uh, there's TCR cars there, so like. Uh, Renault Clio's Volkswagen Golf GTIs. That GTI TCR is a great car, looks by the way. Amazing. Um, I mean, there's Ford Focuses in this thing. But there were also like uh, Vipers. There's still out there. E36 uh, BMWs out there. Like, uh, you know, cars that haven't been competitive racing anywhere but vintage racing. Toyota Corolla. It was awesome. A lot, a lot of big national, international wins there. But it, yeah, an, but o- it, an Opel Astra. But it was cool. It was cool because it creates a, a lot of interesting dynamics with traffic keeps that race competitive over 24 hours. It was really, really fun to watch. Um, and the, the past couple of years of the Nürburgring 24 have had just insane weather. Yeah. Like this year with that lightning well, storm yeah, and last year with the hail storm. And Steven said that the the actual environment there was just a drunken uh, total uh, 24-hour party. Yeah, and he called it a drunken, freewheeling affair where pretty much anybody in any race car is welcome. That I mean, seems like heaven. I mean, that's like exactly oh, yeah. what you'd like to happen when you die. Um, so that's one. Man, I'm going to probably try to get to that one. I'm going to Le Mans this year for the first time. I'm je- um, I'm so jealous. That well, sounds like such a good time. You could have gone, but you were busy. You said you couldn't go. I will be doing a Kia or Hyundai thing. Yeah, it'll be just as good. Yeah, probably. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah, Um so that was 24 Hours of Nürburgring. Um, check that out next time, which is uh, around this time next year. Should That's, be pretty uh, good. 365 days away. Yeah, so mark it today in your calendar. Put that in your And I'll, I'll see if Velocity's covering it. I don't know. Who's yeah, doing man. I hope they don't uh, show reruns of the bitchin' uh, yeah. whatever. The guys with the Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts. shirts and, uh, 
<laughs> but you can watch our Hawaiian shirt hot rod show on our Patreon Gold if you subscribe. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's you get uh, Patreon Gold. You get uh, Concord Boys. Concord Boys. Get, uh, Hawaiian hot rodders. Yep. And then you get uh, DJ Surfing Bird, uh, which is a, a reality show about the DJ that goes to all the uh, car shows, the nice. old day car shows. Plays uh, Surfing Bird uh, 15 times during the that, car show. That's everybody who's heard about the bird. Yeah. And I should note, Hawaiian Hot Rods is about Hawaiian shirt-wearing hot rod enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So just for... Now, can we wear Hawaiian shirts when we go to the simulcast here with the uh, podcast? Is that... that yeah. You have to read your contract. I don't. Yeah, it well, depends. I don't. I don't know what yours says, but we should discuss. We'll discuss that off air. That's not really appropriate okay. for the for this audience. But um, so that uh, was the Nurburgring Twenty Four. We also had some NASCAR happening. Which Kevin Harvick, another win for Ford at Kansas. Yeah, man. What's Ford doing? Well, we're going to find out. They're going to be. You know, we got the the big race weekend coming up here next weekend with uh, Charlotte Six Hundred. You know, we'll find out a lot. Are, there. are they cheating or what's going no, on? Nobody's cheating. Uh, it's NASCAR. They don't cheat. No one has ever cheated in NASCAR. That's a well-known. They thing haven't cheated since Smokey Eunuch. It's like the, the classic NASCAR thing is that no one cheats. Uh, if you're cheating, you're trying too hard. Don't do it. The but it is interesting. Um, you know, we made such a big deal about the Toyotas last year, and the Ford guys were just crying. Uh, Kozlowski especially. Oh yeah. We got nothing for these these Camaros and we got nothing for these Toyotas and uh boy the Fords have looked pretty pretty competitive. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good this year. Um what's the total wins Mike right now is it like 9? Oh uh, yeah, and, and Harvick leads with 5. Um I think it's like it's not that far apart in total wins but of late. I mean they they've won I think what is it four out of the last yeah. five or something. And, it's getting a, it's getting a little bit uh, to where everybody's kind of looking around the room, and I know they're looking at everybody's rear view mirrors or rear view. I'm sorry, the rear windows. windows yeah. That's the big issue right now. Uh, everybody's pointing. Everybody's a lot of finger pointing going on, which is pretty good for NASCAR, I think, especially going into the 600 weekend, which is going to be a lot of. Uh, you know, that's their Super Bowl next outside of Daytona, so that's a, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it is. I mean, it, it does bear discussion, even though I mean we've been in this situation for a number of years now. Very strange to be looking at uh, Kevin Harvick with the dominance that he's had so far. Uh, obviously, would be the points leader uh, in the series. Doesn't matter uh, at all. You win one race, you get in the playoffs. You could, he could not be a champ. He could win. Uh, he could win the rest of the races this year. Uh, I guess. Well, he's actually third in the points, but he's got the most important points, and that's the the playoff points. Playoff points, right? You know, every time you win a race, yeah, sorry, you get not, five bonus point points. Later, yeah, but, exactly. Yep. And he's sitting there with twenty four points right now, and and the way those work, those points actually do carry into the playoffs, and you can carry those all the way up to the final race of the season. So you don't necessarily have to have a great you know postseason, so to speak, to to make the final four. Uh, Truex did, but he last year when he won it, but he had a lot of points going in, and you know he almost got a buy into the second or third round. Is it a prerequisite for a NASCAR fan to be like a calculus or like calculus two teacher or professor? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> to be this, honest, this point system makes little sense to me. Yeah, but it uh, it does it does like I said, it, you know, we and we've talked up and down this this issue, but. Uh, it does create a situation where you do not know who's going to be the champion until the final race, uh, which, which gives is good. People, but they've been lucky. They're, they're this since they started this format. The right guy is pretty much one. Yeah. We haven't had that real clunker of a winner. Like uh, I know one, two guy who won one race. Yeah, two years in. ago, you know, uh, Ryan Newman. I don't know if he'd won a race all year. Maybe one. No, I don't think he had not won a race, and he made it to the final race. And all he would have had to do is beat those other three guys in that final race. And then we get time. One thing about the, the Coke 600 weekend is also NASCAR Hall of Fame weekend where they announced the new class. 
And basically, if you've won a cup championship, eventually you're going to get in the Hall of Fame. That's yeah. just the way this thing seems to be going. Now, are they going to treat a cup champion in this new format the same way going forward if it's a guy like insert driver here who hasn't won more than a race or two during the season. Uh, Chase but, Elliott. You know, exactly. Chase Elliott hasn't won a race yet. Yeah. And if he able, but he's in a good position right now to make the postseason, you know, a couple of top five finishes in there, and he can still win the championship. So it's it's an interesting time in NASCAR's history, and they're not going to change this system as long as the right guys keep winning. But as soon as you get a guy that hadn't won a race, win a race, or win the championship, yeah, you'll see the changes to the point system again. And interesting, uh, so – this, uh, you know, obviously not something we um, prepared a ton to talk about, and I don't really think there's much to talk about other than the kind of persistent rumors of NASCAR being for sale. Yes. Um, that is something, obviously, with huge potential to change that sport, um, or not. But um, we've heard it. Uh, NASCAR won't deny it. We've heard some comments from drivers who are uh, in typical uh late uh nascar driver uh style not really giving us a ton to go on as far as how they would feel about it or what their concerns are um something we will certainly be keeping an eye on and and updating as we have uh more information but it's been pretty pretty quiet right mike well yeah i think the biggest issue and again this is an issue that drivers don't really care too much about but it's the schedule could go could be totally overhauled with it with a new ownership uh, a couple of years ago, remember, NASCAR went into these five-year deals with all the current tracks, and every track was locked into these five-year deals no matter what their attendance has done. Well, you've got a track like down the road here at Michigan Speedway. I mean, in the last 10 years, they've gone from 137,000 seats to about 45,000, maybe 48,000 seats right now. That place is shrinking. I went out there just the other day. They pulled out, you know, several more thousand seats this year. It's uh, it's really almost uh, laughable of how small some of these tracks are getting. Yet they're still guaranteed these two races a year for the next couple of years. Uh, a new ownership could come in and you know tear up some deals and you know change some of these schedules where you're not no longer you know grandfathered in. And it's uh, I think that's where the biggest change is going to be. To be honest with you, is uh, the schedule. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that one. Um, obviously, interesting time. It's hard to imagine. Uh, NASCAR without the France family, but um, that may be on the horizon. Everything has to come to an end sometime. Is that true? I don't know. Not the Auto Week podcast. Oh, no, no. Uh, no. Um, well, each episode ends. Does it? That's true. Well, we stop recording it, but it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, you know, talking on the office and stuff. It's true. Yeah. Our life is a podcast. In a way, yeah. yeah, just, yeah. It really is. And, if and you, a less philosophical note. Well, yeah. you know, and if and if you turn off the podcast when you get to work and you didn't finish the podcast, does it ever really end? Yeah. I don't that's know. That's a good question. Uh, anyway, so I think that's pretty much our motorsport story. Is there something else we're supposed to talk about? Nope. We're just going to... Well, we did talk to Jordan Taylor a yes. little bit ago. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So we're going to... We'll kick to... Uh, to finish out our motorsport section, we're going to kick to that interview with Jordan Taylor. Um, I was not there. Um, You're traveling man lately. Been uh, on the road. Uh, dusty trails. Dusty, doing a lot of uh, every day on an airplane type of living, which sucks ass, and I hate it. Uh, but uh, I am going to Lamas. So I can't complain too much. But anyway, here is Jordan Taylor uh, in the office to promote the Chevy Chevrolet Detroit, Detroit Belle Isle Grand Prix presented, presented by, by Lear. Lear. Uh, shout out to Meryl Kane for that one. Um, but here's Jordan Taylor. 
Okay, we are very excited to have uh, Jordan Taylor, uh, IMSA Pro, joining us for a nice conversation. Jordan Taylor, thank you very much for joining us. Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Ron Warner, Managing Editor. Mike Price, and Motorsports Editor. And I'm Jimmy Pelizzari. Is that it? <laughs> that is That's it. That is it. Just a guy. He's, he's so important, he doesn't need a title. Bottom of the parking lot uh, coming in. Uh, technically. Big Jordan fan. Events <laughs> and custom content specialist. Oh, God. Yeah. Fancy. Fit that on your name tag, yeah? Yep. <laughs> uh, so, Jordan, how are you? How are things? Uh, things are okay. Uh, we just drove up from Ohio last night after our race there, which wasn't great. Um, but, yeah, we're on a media tour today for Belle Isle for the Detroit Grand Prix. So, uh, this is, I think, our last stop of the day. So, now, I'm pretty worn out by this point. I was told it's the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear. Is that is that the same race? Are we talking about the same event? I believe so. Okay, sorry, yeah. I didn't get that talking note, that talking point. But I could I could rattle off all the other ones if you'd like to. <laughs> Be careful, Merrill will make you do all these things all over again if you don't get the talking points. I am doing them all again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> DetroitGP.com. So, you've had not as good of a season this year as opposed to last, but that's partially because last year you guys won. Was it the first five or six races straight? Yeah, it was the first five races, and you know it's a much different season. So last year, uh, the new class came out, the DPI class, um, with P2 cars from Europe. So Cadillac, you know, did their homework all throughout 2016. We did more testing than anyone else. So when we showed up to Daytona, the package was already proven. So everyone was kind of learning that first half of the year while while we were just ready to go. So Daytona and Sebring were pretty dominant, and then once we got to Long Beach. You know, we were racing, you know, extreme speed. We had to pass them for the win of that race. Coda was pretty clean. And then when we came here to Belle Isle last year, it was still a battle. So uh, we won the first five and we were able to win the championship. But, you know, this year is definitely different with, you know, Team Penske coming on with Acura, Team Yost c- taking over the Mazda program. So there's a lot more high-level programs, drivers, um, teams coming in. So it's definitely more competitive. And I think, you know, for us, it's pretty much the same car as last year, so we kind of maximized our car and I think our package throughout the season, and IMSA knows that and knows what our car is capable of, and I think these new cars are coming out, and maybe they're still learning and still developing, so they're, we're seeing them progress and learn and, and develop and get faster, so I think it's, we saw it at Ohio, we were at a, we were half a second to a second off all weekend, um, so I think hopefully for the rest of the year, it'll be a little bit tighter. So you mentioned Penske with the Acuras. I know uh, one of the drivers is Ricky Taylor, and it has to be so interesting. You guys were teammates last year. Now you guys are competitors. What's that dynamic been like? Is there is there any relation? Uh, just the last name. <laughs> it's coincidence. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's All coincidence. Right. Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. We were together for I think four seasons, and you know we won a lot of races together, and we were, we hadn't won a championship. So I'm glad that we were able to win Daytona and Sebring we won Petite together so we won all the major races and then we were able to win a championship together so I was glad that we were able to do that together before we got split um obviously it's a great opportunity for him to go to Team Penske uh he was upset to leave but he couldn't really turn that down so we had a good battle at Long Beach we had a good race he was struggling with rear tires and I knew it and we know each other so well I knew how he was going to race me and how hard he was going to race me so uh, it was fun to kind of see what it was going to be like in the actual situation. He's definitely a hard racer, and he he was at Long Beach, and I think, you know, we were able to beat him there, 
but he was able to beat us at Ohio. So I think it's going to be a fun year. Jordan, uh, can you talk about the dynamics of how that decision came down last year as far as how it you know, affected you? And when did you find out? We, we saw you last year at Petite and at the awards ceremony that, you know, after Petite. Ricky was a little emotional, and you could kind of – we sensed something was up. You know, nothing had been announced. Had you known going into Petite that he had already committed to Penske? How'd that work out? Yeah, so it probably started early in the year. It might have been last year. I'm not sure when he tested the Penske IndyCar. He got a test with them, a one-day test. And it went really well. So obviously it was on Penske's radar at that point. And actually, it might have been 2016 that that test happened. And then when 2017, they were talking about the program, Ricky was on the top of their list as they, they know him and obviously very successful in sports cars with a lot of experience. So they wanted someone like that to come in with a Cash Nevis or a Montoya to have the sports car side of it um, to kind of baseline off of. So I think we heard early in 2017 that they were interested in talking to Ricky. But it, it wasn't a, uh, a done deal until, I'd say, halfway through the season. So I'd say by, I'd say maybe even Belle Isle weekend, it was getting close to a done deal. And we were starting to talk to drivers to replace him. Uh, but our driver selection went all the way until October, until we picked someone. So at Petit, we knew it was emotional for everyone in the family, I think, especially Ricky. Uh, because he had been with the team. He had left the team. You know, he, he missed our our team is is a family team like you say like my dad's team owner but even the crew guys everyone's so close so for him to leave he was it was hard on him so at the speech you know it was it was emotional for him wow so how do you keep a secret you know half the season that was that's a, that part of it is amazing in itself nothing no, nothing is kept secret that long in racing oh i think penske does a good job of that <laughs> um making sure that it doesn't leak out but no we knew like they kept it very secret uh it was only a couple guys at penske that knew Ricky, my dad, uh, myself, and maybe one person on our team knew. No one on our uh, like a lot of rumors are obviously were building in the team, knowing Penske was coming, and Ricky did that test in early 2017. But yeah, it was until like Ricky actually it was at a Road Atlanta test would have been like July or August that he that we had a private test with our team, and he sat all the guys down and basically told them that he was leaving, and half of our team is ex. Penske mechanics, so they still know everyone on the Penske team. So they had already heard before Ricky told them, but it was nice for Ricky to <laughs> say it to them at least, and and you know be in front of you know all the media. And we are talking with Jordan Taylor, not Ricky. Jordan, this is still your show. Uh, yeah. How are the dynamics now with the team? I mean, is it uh, is it much different, uh, or are you still meshing? How's that work? Uh, how is how hard, easy is it to bring in a new teammate? It's it's not easy. I think sports car racing is. There's a lot of egos in racing, especially with drivers, and especially in sports car racing, you usually want to be better than your teammate, be the faster guy, and that's who you get compared to. So when we look for someone, it's someone that you, has no ego, that doesn't mind you know, sharing a car like a traditional sports car driver. And Ricky and I, we went in with no egos, and if he was better one weekend, I didn't care if you know he was a star or vice versa. And if I was having a bad weekend, let him set up the car in his way to maximize it for the team and that's what we looked for and you know we were we met with so many drivers because it it was a good seat we were the dominant team last year so a lot of people wanted to come to us and you know we we spoke to probably 50 drivers and a lot of them were high level big name guys but all they wanted was a big paycheck and for us we have sponsors and we have support from from Cadillac but it's not a, a huge operation where we can just pay a guy a bunch of money. So we want a guy to come in with a level head and want to win races to win races, not to just come make a lot of money. So uh, Ranger was 
high on the list to begin with. And we actually, our first meeting was with, with him at Laguna Seca on Friday. And then he had that crazy pass in the course crew to win the race. So he kind of made a little, a good deal with us that weekend, um, putting on a show. But he's, he's the guy with great personality. He's a good teammate to work with for me. Uh, he's got a different driving style to me. So it's interesting to look at data, to compare to, to learn from. Uh, so he's been a good fit. I think we're still meshing a little bit to understand driving style differences with car setup. But yeah, he's been a, he's been a great replacement. So IMSA runs 24-hour race, 12-hour race, you know, long, long events. But then also you have these 100 and 160-minute events, pretty short for what we would consider an endurance race. Do you guys, do you guys have something that you prefer, something you're more comfortable with, something you enjoy more? Uh, I think they, they're all their own sort of animal. Uh, Daytona is probably my favorite event just because it's kind of our home race, living in Orlando and going there as a kid. Just the whole atmosphere of the event's really nice. But like a Sebring 12-hour feels like a 48-hour race with how brutal it is. And then you go to Long Beach and, and Belle Isle, and it's 100 minutes, which is stressful because it's one on a street course where if you make a mistake, it's going to hurt. And the second thing is that it's so difficult to pass, and if you make a mistake, there's no time to make it up again. So I say those are the most rest- stressful events, um, but also it can be the most rewarding because – You've maximized everything to win that event. Um, but the two-hour, 40-minute races are kind of fun because there's always some strategy that plays into it. You know, you can do fuel strategy, tire strategy, different driver change orders um, can mix things up. So I think the two-hour 40 is a nice balance between, you know, both endurance and sprint. So you you grew up with your dad being in racing, and how did you get into – I mean, obviously that was an influence. Yeah. But- but you said you grew up driving sports cars. Yeah. And how did you um, get into those? Were you karting and then yeah. going straight into Corvettes? Or what was that process? I did. We did karting. I was 10 years old when I started. And I was terrible in go-karting. No success. The funny thing was, like, I, I didn't wear glasses back then. Okay. And we couldn't figure out why I was so slow. <laughs> and then it was because I couldn't see where I was going for, like, five years. Yeah. Um, those apexes look a little fuzzy. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why it's so bumpy. So we go karts for probably five years and wasn't great, but it was still something we were interested in. And we did Skip Barber Racing School uh-huh. um, when I was, I think, 15 and then did one season of that. And then I bounced around in junior formulas. I did two weekends in F2000, two weekends in IMSA Lights. Um, and then I, I jumped into my first Rolex 24 when I was 16, which was probably a little too that's early. pretty hardcore. But, I mean, uh, that seems... Uh, yeah. yeah. I was... I was freaked. Um, <laughs> what getting class? Into it. Were you in a Were you in a sports car? Or a I was in a GT Porsche. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in that year, I think there were 41 cars in our class in 2008, and it was like, holy smokes! My first stint was in in the night, in the wet, and I was like, what am I doing out here? <laughs> and but it was, I think it was great because in junior formulas, you're racing guys at your similar skill level, mm-hmm. and you're learning at the same rate. But if you right. jump into the Rolex you're racing against the pros and you're either going to learn from them and adapt to it or you're going to not succeed. So I remember following guys like Robin Liddell and GT and Andy Lally and, and York Bergmeister in the wet and, you know, getting an understanding of like, okay, well that's what they're doing and it's working and I got to adjust to it. And I feel like my learning curve was, you know, exponentially adjusted and I felt like if I stayed in junior formulas, there's no way I would have learned that stuff that fast. I mean, throughout your 
career. I mean, that sounds like a very intense experience and learning experience, you know, and like throughout your career, has that still been like up there as one of the most experience? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was I that mean, was something. Last year was pretty wild too, but um, that was a horrible one. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> um, no, I mean my first Daytona was a big experience. First Lamar was eye opening, but then like you, you find the most unique, odd experiences um, in different conditions where it's wet. Um, that can be super dangerous and sketchy. Like last year Daytona, when we won, it, it rained all through the night and it was so cold like my feet actually went numb in the car while driving and stuff like that you'll never hear about but people I'm sure there's so many drivers with crazy stories that go on uh that you'll never hear about and you know like at Daytona one year I had the no one probably still knows now but uh I was in the slipstream of a guy in an old Daytona prototype and I pulled out at like 190 and the roof ripped off the car my ears popped my helmet got sucked (laughs) trying to suck off my head I'm like well, welcome to welcome yeah, to sports welcome, car racing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you did you yell into the radio? Who's the roof guy? Do we no, need to talk to the roof? Well, guy? I, I told them. I'm like, I think the roof just flew off, and they're like, "Well, what do you want me to do about it?" Yeah, right. like, we don't have a roof, <laughs> but thankfully, someone had, did actually have a roof. Oh, that's it's that's why you keep them. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's why you hold on to those. You never know. So, but that's in in Daytona too. I mean, Daytona is kind of a, I've never been there, okay. and um, just just to watch or anything, and, and it seems like such an interesting mix because you have the the oval right and then you have the the road course on the yep. infield right so like like when you were talking um about ringer and his driving style did he ever had he ever driven on an oval before i've actually got a another funny story but he claims that he's uh He's, he's some oval champion in Europe, which I don't even know if they race ovals. Over. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, he was like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the Dutch don't oval champion. I'm yeah. the Dutch oval champion. So uh, he was always bragging about this stuff. And uh, we used the Delara simulator for uh-huh. um, our development with the Cadillac. And they do a lot of IndyCar stuff. So we spent two days there last week, and we made a deal with all the engineers. Like, oh, okay, at the end of the day, give us – Two warm-up laps and four laps at Indy in Indy qualifying. Trip. Nice, nice. And, and Ranger's nice. walking around like, "Oh, I'm the oval champion from <laughs> from wherever he's from, Amsterdam." And we're like, "Okay." So he goes out there and he did really well. He did uh, 225, oh. and everyone like put money on it. They're like, "Oh man, like he he probably won it." And then uh, Max Angeli went and he went like 226, and then I was up and everyone bet against me and I beat him. I did 227, and. Now Ringer hates hearing anything about ovals again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who who are you racing the Indy 500 with? Uh, which team is that? Oh, I yeah. mean, oh, the 27. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's got to be. I thought it was decent. Um, no, no. I've, I'm not even close to going to Indy. But it was fun. It was a good experience. It was even kind of intense in the simulator doing a lap around there. Oh yeah, I mean, I I I played uh, I played it on video games, which I think is the same experience, right? Uh, you'd say, and it I, I felt it pretty intense. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom's couch is like a perfect <laughs> right, simulator exactly. uh, setup. So so sometimes you're in cars that um, aren't racing. Sometimes you actually drive publicly on the road. Um, I always have a driver. I don't drive myself. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you what would you say like what? What do you feel is like kind of like your home thing? Like, what are the road cars you really enjoy? What do you have? Well, it's funny you ask. I have a we and we won the championship last year with Cadillac, so they made two hundred uh, of the championship edition CTSV and ATSVs. So I actually just got mine last month. 
which is awesome because I was able to go out to Spring Mountain. They do a event out there if you own a Cadillac V. That's uh, just outside of Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go out there. It's like a resort with a racetrack, which is awesome. And you can just go drive around the track. And last year we were able to go drive CTSVs and ATSVs. And I loved it. And now I have one as an AVJ driver. So... So Ricky going to be able it. to drive his to... Uh... No, he didn't get one. <laughs> Ricky didn't get one. Nice. He should have stayed. What'd Ricky get? Maybe like a TLX or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, a right? minivan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Check, out this, check out this new pilot. Give, give him the die cast. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anything else you own? Uh, I have a GMC truck and then I have a 65 Corvette. Nice. Ah, yeah. nice. Very nice. I couldn't tell you too much about it, but I know it, it breaks down a lot. <laughs> is, that, is that when when you get driven? Is it the tow truck driver? Oh, that, all the is time. That, is that it? Oh, I man. actually have the guy's number. Sometimes that's super fun, though. You know? The tow truck? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is there's this kid who you've probably seen him. He comes to a lot of the races. His name's Nicholas. He's the kid who gets signed. His whole face gets signed on by Sharpies by all the drivers. And his family drove down from New York that's to Florida. Hard, that's hardcore. And I said, oh, like, I'll pick him up for the day and take him around and go mini golfing or something and he's like oh can you bring your corvette so i was like yeah i could bring my corvette so i drove out there i got on the highway broke down on the highway we sat on the highway for three hours together got driven back to my house by the time we got to back to the house i had to take my truck back and drop him off with his family so we didn't do anything how how many times did you sign his face that day <laughs> yeah well he actually fell asleep so i could have <laughs> so you talked about the Daytona 24-hour being your favorite event. There's another 24-hour event going on in June um, that gets a couple people's attention. Are you going to be there again in 2018? I don't think so. I mean, I got a, a call this week to go, but it's still a conversation. And, you know, I've had a good record there. I've had three podiums and a win, you know, out of six attempts. So for me... I don't see a point to go back just to compete in the event. Um, it's such a stressful, you know, two weeks to be there. I don't. I wouldn't want to go go through all the stress that there's no chance of winning. And, you know, I'm not going back with, you know, a factory team this year for sure. And, you know, if it's not a top LMP2 car, I wouldn't want to go. That class is a bit odd with having having to have an amateur driver with you. Yeah. Um, but now having one, you know, Daytona, Sebring, and Petite overall, I'd like to try my next step would be to win Lamar overall. Um, cause I don't think, I'm not sure if anyone's done it all of them because Petit's only been running since 98 and a lot of the guys back then wouldn't have done the Daytona as well. So I think it'd be cool to try to get all those overall. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, is there, is there anything that translates from the 24 hours of Daytona to the 24 hours of Lamar that you think is similar or are they just so completely different in terms of uh, pomp and circumstance but also you know preparation and seriousness and all those things i think the preparation is the same they're both obviously 24-hour events um so you got to prepare the car you got to prepare the crew and and everything but the race the races are run so differently so in, at you know lamar you don't have the full course yellows aren't full course yellows like we have where everyone gets bunched together you get a full course yellow there and you can lose two minutes um if you get caught by the wrong safety car You've got slow zones, which are a whole different animal, um, and just the way the the way the race works is is totally different. So, uh, personally, I love the way we do it, where you know you're creating racing with yellow flags. Guys can get their laps back, so you you actually have a battle to watch. That race, you can watch the race, and by hour twelve, someone's got a four minute lead, and you know you're just watching guys driving around the racetrack. So, 
I understand that that's the tradition there, um, and I understand that. But for me as a fan, I love to watch a good battle and a good race. Um, I don't think they could change that for that event because you'd lose that kind of history of it. Um, But every time you go back as a driver, you're relearning how that race works. And, you know, if you're losing a second a lap there, it, it adds up over 24 hours. So it's a race where you're pushing the whole time to not lose that time. But at a race like Daytona, you're pushing the whole time for track position because you're racing at all times. You know you can get a yellow and get bunched up, but you want to keep the track position. So they're just different animals. Um, what do you like for your chances at the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear? <laughs> I, think, I think we'll have a good shot. Um, you know, we've won there the past few years. Last year, uh, Ricky had a crash in qualifying. We actually started last and we won the race. Um, so hopefully this year we'll start a little further up um, and not have too much work cut out for us. But, you know, it's been a tough season, you know, with everyone. There's so many fast cars. Uh, you know, Penske's had two poles now. Uh, I think Cadillac's won two races. Um, but Mazda was fast this past weekend, and extreme speeds show speeds like every every other weekend as well. So I'm sure it'll be a tough one. Do you uh, do you guys like fight for a good paddock position? Like, he's like, oh no, I definitely want the corner by the fountain, or is like, oh, this is closer to the nicer hot dog stand. Like, is there any kind of competition that goes on there? To, I don't think we get to choose it. But if I had to choose, it would be close to the the cleanest bathrooms. But uh, <laughs> but Belle Isle does a, do a good job with bathrooms. Um, we were, I was having this conversation yesterday. Uh, a lot of tracks struggle with nice bathrooms, but Belle Isle always, always does a good job. Uh, Roger oh, has something nice. to do with that, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I live, <laughs> I live sure right that. by it. I live, I live uh, very close to Belle Isle, and I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, the, I don't know if you help. <laughs> I mean, no comment. You know. um, one thing that was interesting, we had um, Tony Kanan on, um, on the last podcast, and he was talking about Belle Isle and the different... Um, surfaces in the way that it affects the car does that kind of go into your preparation and setup or mental mental preparation or yeah it's uh it's tough i mean you set up a car for either half of the track either concrete or asphalt and bumpy or smooth and you kind of each team has different theories on how that works um there's some super bumpy sections that you want to set up the car for bumps and then there's super smooth sections that you want to maximize the arrow so you want a stiff car. Um, so there's tons of compromise. And, you know, Belle Isle's unique where, you know, not many street courses have high-speed sections. Like turn one and two in the last two corners are, are legitimately fast Pretty corners. Ripping. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you kind of compromise a lot of things. But for our team, I can't tell you too much about it. But uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, Very hush-hush. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you want to make a comfortable car because it is 100 minutes, but it's such an on-edge track that it's so easy to make a mistake that you don't want it to be too, you know, too edgy. And with these cars, if you make it that more edgy, you make the, the, the driving setup of it, you know, the lap time comes quickly with it in a good way, but you, you're more likely to crash. So, so does the wall. So yeah. The yeah. Wall. yeah. <laughs> Which we saw last year. <laughs> Is there, do you have like a, do you have like a a favorite corner or do you think like this is the corner that the fans should keep their closest eye on? Uh, I think turn one and two is probably one of the coolest street course corners out there just because of how quick it is. And throughout the weekend, it's rubbering in and it's getting faster and faster and it's got a little hump on the exit. So the cars can get a little bit of air over there. Um, But then turn three is the major passing zone. So uh, I think if you're looking for action, it's the fountain section because that's where the prototypes have a big speed advantage on on GT cars, and you, uh, and you can't get around them. Yeah. So 
you, you see a lot of impatient drivers through there. Uh, and I hit someone in the second to last corner. So I think there's kind of action everywhere. <laughs> well, Jordan, thank you so much for talking with us. This was great. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so that was Jordan Taylor, uh, one of the great uh, personalities in uh, in motorsports today. I think in a in an era when uh, motorsports can be uh, drivers can be a little uh, kind of boring, a little bit uh, reluctant to express themselves. Uh, Jordan uh, lives the life of a totally insane social media person, um, and uh, has not has not been uh, shy. Uh, whether he's wrapping himself in an IMSA flag with no clothes on or uh, any number of other wacky hijinks he gets up to. If you're not following him on social media, I highly recommend it. And it was um, nice to hear him talk about his brother, his relationship with his brother, especially when his brother left the team. Ricky. Ricky, yeah. Yeah. Um, really cool. Uh, anyway, follow both those guys. Um, was a little surprised we didn't hear from uh, Rodney uh, Sandstorm this I, time around. I, he missed his flight, I think. Okay. Um, I And I heard that maybe he had some legal trouble. Uh, I think that that's why I missed his flight. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we will expect to get an update from him as well. Um, but that that pretty much, I think, concludes our, our motorsport section, the longer motorsport section this week. We did want to cut again to an interview uh, or a review of the new Bentley Continental. Um, good car good okay it is i haven't heard the interview yet or the review yet i wanted to make sure um it was a decent, decent yeah car. they're pretty uh, happy with it they Who drove it? it uh one graham kozak graham that's a good car for graham to drive. it's a perfect car for graham yeah okay it's a modern day packard yeah uh so graham drove the continental gt we're going to cut to that interview now on another level <clears throat> And we're back. Um, I'm Wesley Wren with the Auto Week Podcast. I'm here with... Oh, Graham Kozak. Robin Warner. Jake Lingeman. To talk with Graham about a Bentley he just drove. Ah, the Flying Bee. Yes, yeah. It's, the it's, Flying Bee. It's the, uh, the all... Well, we don't really say all new, but it's the new... New enough. Third generation. It's actually new. 2019 Bentley Continental GT. <laughs> actually new. Wait, so... so <laughs> That's so cynical. We said, so the, the Continental started in 03, we were talking, right, we were yeah. saying about. So there's been two generations since yeah, then. Yeah, so there was... It was, depends on how you do the math, though, Well, right? no. Yeah. According, I mean, it, to, according to Bentley, there's yeah, been two generations. Okay. So, uh, you know, but it was in reality the same... It's the same bones. Updated. It's the same. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It's the same car. It's. I mean, it's like, as I understand it, they gave it two mid-cycle updates, right? But the core chassis was one and the same since 2003. Right. But this one, new chassis. This one's new. So the new old new. one, the the underpinnings were kind of borrowed or adapted from the VW Phaeton. Right. That's right. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. kind of a weird choice for a two-door tour. Uh, this one was co-developed with the Porsche Panamera. Ah, that's okay. good. That's, that's a good. big departure. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, stuff, yeah. you can see the kind of difference in philosophy from the starting point, which was, you know, they, they weren't adapting a big, weird sedan. Yeah. They were starting with, you know, another sedan, but a, a performance-oriented one for sure. Yeah, and the Panamera is good. So that bo- I'd say that would bode well for the uh, new Continental. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a... So the whole thing was the, the original Continental GT totally redefined Bentley. I mean, that mm-hmm. that was... Yep. Like again, if you're thinking of a Bentley, there's a good chance that's the one you're thinking of. Well, that was the first. That was the first Bentley that kind of escaped the Rolls Royce ties. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. So, and that it's far and away their most successful model. They they told me they're they got close close to seventy thousand produced. That's like every other Bentley put together times two. You from, know, from the past, from from you know the twenties on. That's crazy. I mean, it's it's not exactly mass production by Corolla standards, but it's like I mean, that, there's a lot of them. So it, this was an important car to kind of continue, but mm-hmm. obviously, you know, it, it the new one doesn't really break any you know, barriers like the last one did, mm-hmm. but it does exactly what it sets out to do, which is to be, you know, probably the most comfortable way to get from uh, point A to point B. Yeah. Let's, uh, so let's start with powertrain still W12. Yes. They, it's a, it's a revised W12, but mm-hmm. it's still a six liter twin turbocharged. Can do, you balance you know a nickel they, on it and to, and to start it? I, you know, I didn't try, but probably smooth. Did, oh, they, it, did they say what they changed in the W12? I think it's comprehensive change. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it all new, but it's it's a little bit lighter than the outgoing one, um, not much, but yeah, I mean the the biggest thing is the the DCT it's paired with, which is kind of a it's a strange yeah left field choice for a, a luxury. And car. I wonder right, they, so it was an outgoing eight speed automatic and an incoming eight speed dual, dual clutch. clutch. Yes, and is that closely related to the Porsche PDK? That was I, my question. I yeah. don't off the top of my head. I don't know. It would make sense. I mean, it makes yeah, sense because right, that's that their newest PDK mm-hmm. is eight speed, and with the Porsche ties to the bones of this thing, I would think that that's. It Regardless sense, of where yeah. it came from, it's it's got to be the smoothest. Huh? It's the smoothest DCT that I've ever experienced. Well, that was my first thought because even the the best DCTs. I mean, in, in you know, in the Porsches, and well, definitely the Porsche. When you, in the when BMWs, you're, when you're on the throttle shifting, it's fine. But usually, if you're trying to downshift or you know creeping along in traffic, yeah, that's when it can get a little choppy, which is fine if you're in a, a Porsche. But you know, obviously, that's not really what you're looking for in a in a Bentley. No, right. So it be they promised that it would be smooth, and it was imperceptible. It's it's kind of freaky if that's you're crazy. if you're trying to maintain a constant speed. You know, 50 miles an hour, you can upshift and downshift, and no one's gonna know. It's it's weird. That's cool. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Because there's just so much torque, which I think is one of the DCTs seem to get choppy when it's like small displacement turbo motors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not a lot of torque in the bottom. Take a lot of time to, you know, a a second to spool up. This thing is like just a well of torque instantly, and uh, and I think that helps with the. uh, I don't know. And what is the peak torque number again? Um, six hundred sixty-four. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of pound feet to move around. (laughs) Well, I mean, it is like a. It is like what did I? Looking at the number, it's a little bit lighter than the outgoing model, but it's about. 5,000 pounds. So <laughs> if you ran a, which like is a lawn, great. A lawn and garden service, you could use this to pull stumps and do yeah. sorts of heavy duty which work. Is, which is, you know, I see a lot of Bentleys going to service, especially on the, the estates of the landed gentry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Typical stuff, yeah. <laughs> chains, like chains attached and trailer hitches and whatnot. Right, there's no need to get a Bentayga to, to tow your sheep cart or whatever. You can... Sheep cart. So I don't know. One, thing, one thing, you know, I read... When I read your review, you talked about how it looks still very, very similar uh, to the outgoing model. But for me personally, I really thought this new look was quite stunning. Yeah, but it's not a revolutionary change. I mean, they, they pushed the, the, the front wheels a little bit further forward. It has roughly the same footprint as the outgoing one. But I mean, they at, at the launch, which was, you know, we, we drove around Austria, great roads, um, which we can get into in a minute, but they they had uh, they had the the first two of the new continent like the 2003 the 2010 and then this current 2019 car lined up, and then they had the uh, they had a 1950 or 52 uh, type or R type Continental the original the the namesake mm-hmm. the inspiration lined up, 
Um, and, you know, it, it definitely is a progression from the 2003 model to this. I mean, it is classic fastback-ish sedan sty- or coupe styling. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, this is sharper. It's a little more sculpted, a little more trim looking. But it's not, it's not a huge departure. It's yeah. not rewriting things like evolution, the first not one revolution. Did. Well, I mean, the first one, if you look at the two doors Bentley made before the 2003 one came out, they were like four doors minus a door. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, the, the 2003 one set the fastback look and, and they've stuck to that, which I think is fine because this is, again, this is the kind of car they're going to build some version of for probably the next 15 years. I mean, these luxury cars have much longer life cycles. And I like to think that some of the people who buy them you know, buy them and keep them for a long time. You know, it's not, it's not a, Oh, I got to replace this every year type thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sure. So you want something that's going to age gracefully, which I think this will. um, Yeah. And I, I will say, you, you can find that in design that if you just start to accumulate several small changes, the overall result can be, you know, dramatically different. And I don't mean to say that, wow, this continental looks brand new, but to me, it was striking that wow, it looks a lot better. So it's almost See, as if they, the Continental, that. went on a real nice nutrition diet, maybe started lifting some weight. It, right, it definitely looks trimmer it and more modern up. for sure. It didn't exactly. see any cut in weight substantially, but it's a, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but it, look, it looks but trimmer, the fat to muscle ratio definitely improved. Um, but that 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 O three to you know whatever one it's is a gorgeous is car, so classic. Yeah, like, it's I just, a little bit. It's this, been around for a, a long time, I know. And, and it looks a little dated, but it's still only a teenie bit though. Like when I still really, see one, I still like. It looks really. It looks heavy is the thing, which, again, isn't necessarily the worst thing. This new one does a better job looking a little more, I don't want to say sprightly. Live. But, yeah, I mean, it it definitely, the the new one. Hot and cool. The the old one looks like it could have been cast iron, you know. Mm -hmm. It was a brick. It was a a block. Yeah. Well, the other thing, you said that the wheelbase has been extended to 112 inches. Do you get a result of more interior space inside? Because that was definitely one of the things that I noticed of the older Continentals is quite cramped considering it, the, the rear seats are still <laughs> pretty small okay um, you're child not, seats no child seats back there you could i mean i could fit in the back seat but yeah. i wouldn't want to spend 500 miles back there mm-hmm. um so yeah it's still predominantly a two it, it does have the latch car. system for attaching I child it, i think it's legally i think it has to right i, I think it does. i don't know man i i have i have a while before i have to start worrying about that so yeah, I mean, I um, you say that yeah but. well anyway I just got some news. Uh, as as uh, as as Graham is talking with you know, two fathers. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, so the roads we took is kind of telling. You know, they 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 had us take a. You know, we spent probably about eight hours driving. It was a good long. That's eh, good. Good long chunk of road driving only. Um, and we went started in Austria, dipped into Italy, and went back to Austria. And we took this uh, Grossglockner High Alpine Road. Mm. It's like thirty six turns. Um, about 40 miles start to finish. Unfortunately, the, the weather wasn't real great, so we couldn't see the, the Alps in the distance. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of surprising at how well the car handled that. That's not exactly, you know, it was switchbacks and all kinds of, it was yeah. a road course, but like I said in the review, it's it's the kind of thing you'd probably want to do on a, a sport bike. Um, right, you know, right. Was, and, and what else you said in your review, which I totally agreed with, was that sometimes they get taxing. When they start getting really tight yeah, switchbacks, I mean, they get taxing. You see a, a pass with just switchback after switchback, and you're like, oh, that looks amazing. Right. And it looks awesome in videos. But yeah. when you're in a car going back and forth, getting up to like half the posted speed. Because, right. Um, not to complain. But, you know, it's mm. it's one thing where like if it's not a, if it's not the right car, that can be 
it gets repetitive. Yep. You know, after you've yep. done the twentieth switchback, you're like, all right, like I get the feel of the car. I right. understand. This thing did it with surprising amount of dignity. I mean, you could have done it in the old car, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not sure if it would have responded as well to it. Um, this does a couple things like torque uh, vectoring by braking that you can sort of detect as you go around a really tight hairpin. Mm, like you a can, tightening, tightening yeah, up it's on like you. It, yeah. If you feel it like rip around the corner a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, more eagerly than otherwise would have. And the, 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 uh, the all-wheel drive system is different. So it's not 40-60 anymore. It's like... Uh, it's, it's variable. It's variable, yeah. right? So, and in sport mode, you get a little less to the front um, mm-hmm. unless things go real wrong yeah but, and you're, you you mentioned that uh the all-wheel drive system actually defaults to rear-wheel drive and only engages yes. the front when it so has to they've done they've done a lot to make it a um a car that's happy to be driven in a sporty way mm-hmm. but it's still not pretending to be a sports car by any stretch of the imagination which is great and even the even the v8 versions which will inevitably come mm-hmm. and the you know i'm sure they'll do a the super speed version you're still getting that like I'm in a bank vault, you know, with the beautiful interior. It's quiet and it's really, really fast, but there's none of the like, oh, I've switched it into sport mode. Things are really going to stiffen up. It's like, no, it's not that. The old Super Sports was one of my favorite cars I've ever driven. It was like, you know, probably like a late 2000s, um, super, you know, late 2008, 9, 10, something like that, Super Sport, or maybe 12, 13. And it was like 600, I think, uh, at that point, 600 horsepower. And like I said, it felt like a bank vault brick on wheels um but it felt kind of fast um and you're saying this still feels fast but maybe a little more cushy like not as much sport yeah and i'm sure they'll they'll tighten it up for for the for those kind of models and again i'm kind of excited to see what they do with the gt3 car because we've seen it it looks awesome uh the The last one looked awesome too it was one of those things where it was like oh we have this car maybe we should race it and it wasn't really like the ideal maybe the ideal setup to turn into a race car so the fact that it did as well as it did mm-hmm. um, yeah. was remarkable. And this new one should take that, you know, even further. They should see more success with it. I mean, they're certainly starting from a better place for that purpose. Right. What about the cost? What are we talking about? Uh, like 215 to start U.S. Deliveries don't start until spring next year, so you got some time to, to no, save, save up. Save up a little bit. Good. Well, Very and good. before we get too far away from uh, sport modes and sportiness, you know, mm. I was recently on a Toyota Avalon drive, mm. which is, you know, Toyota's Bentley. The poor man's Bentley. Yeah. And it also has a sport mode. So, it, you know, the idea of sport mode is proliferating just like many other features. Well, you know, well, once I, you have adjustable shocks and adjustable this, you know, having a sporty version of the thing you have gets so that much easier. What the Toyota, I, I kind of love that. What but. the Toyota doesn't have is the Bentley mode, which mm. is their, it's kind of their preferred, you know, that's what they said. Oh, this is the perfect setup for this drive. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of between comfort and sport. And it is, I mean, literally on the, the little mode selector it's just the, the b logo oh is it the flying yeah, so well, it's like comfort b sport yes is that it just the three and it, it does give you yeah you're right there all are all these things that can be adjusted so it it'd be almost kind of silly not to let there be some user adjustment thing oh yeah and there's also like a custom mode i think yeah cool but cool. but yeah i mean since all these things can be adjusted from behind the wheel it doesn't make sense not to let you do it i thought the b mode was a pretty good balance like they promised but i really love that we have all these modes now because <sighs> I I, I, some people don't and some people don't but i if i can get in a car because most of the time i'm driving a car i would like it to be very economical i would go eco mode 75 percent of the time and then go super sport the other 25 percent of the time but do you 
I mean, I do. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like well, when I have a car with several modes, like a, a Mercedes or something like that, I roll it in eco or comfort most of the time and then flip it up to, okay, maybe not 75, 25, maybe 50, 50. But if I owned a car, you know, if I owned a car like that, I think I would probably roll. Like when you're on the expressway or in traffic, I'm going eco mode. And so there's no reason so with, to, with a sports car, I would rather not have that. I mean, in general, I think I'd rather not have that because it's it's adding complexity. It's adding cost. Well, mm-hmm. doesn't your Packard come with yes. drive modes, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> They were the first, yeah, to pioneer it's that. It's P mode. But, but like yeah. you said, if, but, if, if it's possible to just yeah, adjust but, the computer, the mapping of the throttle or the mapping of the, Right, but usually it, it's because, you know, it's because there's a suspension that can be adjusted. Mm-hmm. It's You know, you're, you, you're getting away from the ideal, you know, Lotus 7 sports car thing. It's set up to be one thing. Again, not that sure. you'd want that for... So in general, if I was going to get a more hardcore car, and that was one of the things that kind of bugged me about the M3 a little bit. Was that it? Felt like you had to program it before you, you know, could uh, optimally. Uh, let's see. M one, M two throttle. Ad- there's either yeah. four or five adjustments with three or four in each. So I remembered it was like seventy eight total combinations yeah. right. or okay. some crazy like, number. And then that's and BMW is an excellent example because they were just the absolute um, right. kings of this is how it is. This is the best mode for it to be in. So this is how we tuned it in the right. first place. Right. And it was just such a wonderful combination of manageable ride but taught handling that was fantastic right and they've gone into you know extreme programmability okay for like an m car i don't know if i'd want that for something like the the continental gt where the fact that that adds weight and complexity is completely immaterial because i've never heard anybody go like uh, the continental's great but it weighs a little bit too much that's right. just never right. been a part no, of the conversation no, no one thinks that shave 100 pounds out right. of it it'll be a premium car yeah, they right. actually did this it's about 100 pounds i think total gone <laughs> but like crest a two and a half ton range right like in a car like that where you have all this technology and it's it's not coming out of weight or complexity i mean you already know this thing's terrifyingly complicated right huh. you already know it's it's way heavier than almost anything else in its its class yeah sure why not give me the the adjustable modes speaking of terrifyingly complicated the uh infotainment screen oh can you yeah explain that a little bit yeah you oh yeah so you guys got to go online and watch the video of this thing Oh, I have to post a video. Of the thing. We have to post a video. Of the same. Yeah. We will. We will. Good. Good reminder. Uh, so the the infotainment screen. The, so sweet. The big one in the center of the the dash. Which all luxury cars have. Right. Now. I mean, basically, I mean, every car just about yeah. has that now. So the Bentleys, you can hide it away. So it it comes on. So when the car's off, it's a flat wood panel all the way across the dash, mm. and there's only like a, a millimeter gap uh, on either side of it. You start the car. It spins around like the like the James Bond license plate thing. Yeah. To be the infotainment screen. Um, and then if you don't want to look at that while you're driving, you press the screen button again and it flips to like a, a compass. Of course. Uh, it, it's like a trio of dials. Uh, compass. Like analog. Like analog cool, cool dials. looking analog dials. Yeah. Compass thermometer, which also has a little digital readout on it for some reason. So they got you like three ways on the temperature in the car. <laughs> and then good thing. a clock. I don't want to open the window to feel the temperature. I want to know no. what the temperature is from my 68.5 degree. You have to breathe the poor people air outside the car. Um, yeah, that's pretty sweet. And as far as tech, I mean, that, that Continental was well behind in tech for a long right. time. And this so would new you say one, now it's... I would say it's up to date. I would right. not say it's ahead of okay. the game in any way. I mean, a, an S-Class Coupe from three years ago had basically everything this thing has as mm-hmm. far as I know. I mean, the, the last one, I don't think you, I don't, you couldn't get adaptive cruise control. On the last one, Bentley, no. And it, you can know, do that now. Yeah, I mean, okay. so it's it's on par with what about the safest lane keeping? Yeah, it's it's got. Does everybody really care about that stuff? Absolutely, it, it has it, has it. But I mean, yeah, I think they do. 
Adaptive crews especially. I care about that a lot. Adaptive crews for I, sure, but lane keeping, lane centering, and all that. I no, mean, people are... How are people going to get out of your way if you're just hovering behind them? You have to get right up on them, which the adaptive cruise control. They need like a B mode for the adaptive cruise control. Or just gets, <laughs> it measures right, that, like, the perfect, like an inch away from the bumper. I would love... The bull bars come out and you just I would love you. a B mode or M mode or what pick a letter mode yeah. for adaptive cruise control. That's the double B. That's the uh, the Bentley boy mode. Yes. So it's... It's the G as in get out of my way mode. It's got It's got all the tech that you would want, I think. But it doesn't have anything. It's not breaking any new territory like that. But I like the fact that you can hide at least the screen away. Yeah, I totally I mean, agreed. I'm not big in attack, as you can probably tell. I don't really, you know, I'm not big in like getting the most late cutting edge, uh, you know, self adaptive whatever. whatever. Yeah. If I'm buying this car and it's got wood and leather everywhere and knurled knobs and everything, mm-hmm. why do I want to look at a screen? No, you know, like, yeah, so I, I definitely agree. And I know, um. Like the better, the more expensive Audis, the screen pops out and then flips back in. Right. And then the cheaper ones, it kind of just stays out. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't well, really like the, that stay out look. I like to be able to hide it at any time. The best Audis, they just use the uh, Audi... Oh, virtual cockpit. Virtual cockpit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which basically gets rid of the central screen completely. It's all and, just in your gauges. And it's awesome. Which is good because there's never a passenger in the car who would ever want to see the screen. Right. So I'm going to change the radio, Wes. Come on. I get what they're going for. It, it does look good. I've just always wondered, like, what happens. If and so- then, and yeah, so- well, but in a Bentley, especially, I mean, when there is so much, you know, specific type of hide leather, mm-hmm. and yeah. just as you mentioned, neural wood and these different materials and these nice metals, neural metal, neural metal. Wood. What did I? Th- there's wood and metal. And you can tell you don't drive Bentleys. Can you yes, neural wood? Yeah, I think um, you maybe neural probably wood. Good. Yeah. The point <laughs> is that you have all these nice materials, all these rich materials, and you have. So much emphasis put on, just as you mentioned before, canceling out the noise and really being in a bit of a, a like a tomb of having that proper quiet experience. <laughs> well, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no, I like vault. it. How about, oh, okay. how about a crypt? As a person who a is not, not dead. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, whatever. The not dead. A mausoleum. Version. Well, if you're and locked in a vault, you're not in a good position either, by the way. The point go. is that Sorry. you don't want all the gadgets. You want the whole point of the experience like that is to get away from that and just listen to Listen to your seven thousand dollar name audio exactly. system. Yes, right. yep. exactly right. I mean that to me makes the most sense if that's what you're getting at. Well, the whole idea is all this stuff should be there when you want it, and that's that's the idea. It's all there. You can get whatever you know. Again, all the tech you'd want, but the choice of not having to deal with it, which is, I think, a huge luxury today. Um, when you're attached to your cell phone and you know always checking email, to be able to put the tech away for a while. Uh, I think that's I think that's only going to be a more appreciated luxury as time goes by. So, and uh, where, where do you sorry where do you flip it from? Is it from like the steering wheel or it's, from it's button, on like, the center? I'm just console. wondering if the passenger could flip it if they wanted yeah. to. They can reach over. Yeah, it's, it's on the center console. Nice. I will say we're running a little low on time. Yeah, uh, but would you buy it if you had twenty million in the bank and you needed a new car? Mm, I you know again I'd probably probably wait for the V8 version those are always a little bit livelier it doesn't really change the weight balance or anything like that but it's a little bit more assertive this was probably the best w12 combo i've driven a bunch of the old generation bentley so this is probably the best iteration of that i don't know i i think i would have to see what the v8s are like um i think i'd i'd probably go for the db11 maybe over it Mm. um definitely that seems more like a driver's car yeah yeah but and that's a true front mid-engine you know, right, right. Sports GT. I would love to at least go through the process and see all the customization that you can do at Bentley. I think that's something that would be cool if you had the money to do it. 
Um, American buyers tend to just buy whatever's on the lot, and that goes for you know Mercedes AMG, Designio, or uh, Aston Martin. They said they'd love to see more people exploring their special construction or special mm-hmm. design side. Bentley's the same way. Um, I'd love to walk through and see exactly what I could do with it. I want I uh, Stegosaurus it. seats. Uh, sir, those are extinct. I don't care. Bring I want em, Stegosaurus seats. Bring them back. Kill them. Make seats out yeah. of them. It's yeah. like, uh, so, yeah, I mean, if I could build it exactly the way I wanted to, maybe. I don't know. We, we think tough. the V8 will be cheaper and a little bit li- a little bit cheaper and a little bit lighter, right? We would guess mm, that. Yeah, but I, that's it's going to be marginal. Like, I asked him, and it's actually kind of interesting uh, not to get too far in the weeds with it, but... So the, the W12 sits right over the, the front axles, um, which is not really an ideal placement. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, is that going to change with the V8? And they said, no, because the, the W12 is so compact that there's no way you could really push a V8 any further back. So mm-hmm. it might be a little bit lighter. It'll definitely be less expensive. I don't think it's not going to change it in any fundamental way. It's not going to feel sprightly. Right. Yeah. No. I, so yeah. And who knows? Sure. This might be the first hybrid that you choose oh, as that's your powertrain choice. That's which right. I think, yeah. which again, they did it for the Bentayga. I don't know why it wouldn't, you know, and there, there's a Panamera version hybrid. Yep. I think it could actually be kind of interesting. I mean, the Panamera hybrid car. is kind of like the best hybrid right now. I think uh, uh, the best uh, Panamera, I think the way that t- everything comes on, the comes on, the engine pairs with it. Well, well the e-turbo hybrid with 680 horsepower. I haven't, absolutely. I haven't driven that one yet, yeah. but yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That sounds good too. So, yeah. I mean, keep an eye out for them. Um, when you see one coming down the road, you'll know it's something special. I mean, yeah, it looks really good. Headlights are different. The front end's different. Taillights are different. You should be able to tell it. Yeah, um, but more than that, like the overall, like, just presence it has when it's coming down the road, um, even if you don't notice all those little design details, which there are a lot of to, to take in, it, it it does its job as, like, looking like a car that means business coming down the road. Mm, so Good. Yeah. yeah I like cool. it. Cool. Sit in one if you can. The interior is beautiful. All right, so that was the Continental GT. Uh, I uh, I think that will conclude. It's a good place to wrap up, probably. Yeah. yeah. A per- perfectly timed episode. Okay. Uh, we will get you out of here. Uh, but thank you again for being among our hundreds of thousands of rabid uh, Auto Week podcast fans. And still, the giveaway has never stopped. The you, give- yeah. you email me a five-star review. I email I mail you some stuff. Yep, and that's been going well. Uh, we have some great five star reviews, many of which are not uh, connected to the bribery, uh, which is confusing to me. I will mail you something. Yeah, just email if you're gonna do if you're gonna go to the trouble of giving the review. Um, email Wesley and he'll send you some stuff in the mail. So thank you. I do need proof of a review though. Yeah, yeah, we're not screwing around. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is not an honor system deal. Uh, it's not the Salvation Army. Yeah, come on. Uh, but there's good stuff coming to you in the mail if you send us a review. Um, go ahead and, and get on iTunes. And it, like I said, even if you don't want this stuff, give us the uh, the old five-star review there. We would appreciate it. Um, and with that, I think that's we don't have any housekeeping stuff, right? Uh, I mean, if you're in the Midwest and want to hang out with the Auto Week staff, you can come to the our Cars, Cars and Cork Town to watch uh, Le Mans. The Saturday of Le Mans, there'll be a... Uh, a party to watch the race at uh, the factory in Corktown, Detroit, and then an after party uh, at uh, Thomas McGee's Sporting House in Eastern Market, right outside of Auto Week HQ. I really hope that people are more. How do I want to put this? Uh, 
pace themselves a little better this year at the after party. I think last year... Uh, Le Mans not a sprint. <laughs> yeah. It's an endurance race. Yep. So I think uh, last year we learned some lessons about sprinting, and this year we'll probably try to, to pace ourselves a little more. Of course, I'll actually be at the race, so... Yep. I won't be there to uh, to clean up this time. So you can go hard. Yeah, no, no one will even know if you're super hard. Uh, but anyway, thank you uh, for listening, and we will see you next time. 